this week as we've ministered and to be here with you tonight. Um, my wife is back home. We have five children, my wife and I do. Uh, our youngest just turned one. My oldest is 11, so I haven't slept for the last 11 years. So if I fall asleep in the middle of this, it's just because I haven't slept in the last 11 years. Okay, how many of you brought your Bibles tonight? We are a people of the word, amen? Open your Bibles to John chapter 4 or turn there in your iPad or phone or whatever it is that you want to use. We're going to start in John chapter 4 tonight. And um, what we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about Jesus raising up true worshipers in the earth. And he's doing this right now. I believe that this is a word for our generation. This is a word for uh, uh, the hour in which the church is in. And this is a word for us here in this region as the body of Christ. And I say us because I am the body of Christ just like you. We, 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 we speak French, right? So I believe that the Lord is raising up true worshipers. I want to, um, we're going to start in John 4, then we're going to go to Matthew 26, and we're going to look at what it actually means to be a true worshiper before the Lord. We're going to look at an example. If you're a note taker, I want to encourage you to take notes, and it's not because the things that I'm saying are so insightful, it's because of this. I'm going to jump to the end of the story real quick. I'm just going to read it to you. Jesus says this. This is now the end. This is what we're moving towards tonight, okay? Matthew 26, in verse 13, Jesus says this. He says, truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached, in the whole world, wherever it's preached, what this woman has done will be told as a memorial to her. And now this is talking about Mary of Bethany. This is the true worshiper that we're going to look at tonight. But I want to say that on the front end. And here's why. We need to learn this story of this true worshiper named Mary. We need to learn this story. We need to not just talk about it. We need to embody it. And whenever we preach the gospel anywhere in the earth, whether it's to our neighbor or to our kids or in another country somewhere, this story, Jesus said, tell this story about this true worshiper. He said, tell this story. But I've heard the gospel preached many, many times throughout my life, and very rarely do I hear this story preached. And so I said, Lord, we're going to do this thing. We're going to start doing this thing. And we're going to understand what it is that you're after and what it is in this story of this true worshiper named Mary that is so central and vital to the gospel message being preached. Amen? So buckle your seatbelts. Okay. We're going to start in John chapter 4. Now, Jesus is talking to a Samaritan woman. I love this story. I could get lost in this story, but we're just going to look at verse 23. Look at verse 23 in your Bibles. He says this, the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And here's the key phrase that we're going to hone in on. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. I want to pray. Father, we come before your word, Lord. We ask you that you would give us what we cannot get on our own, 
We ask that you would give us something from heaven tonight. We ask that you would release an impartation tonight, that there would be a calling and a drawing out tonight, that you would go beyond the mere words that I can communicate and that you would glorify your son in power, that our hearts would be invigorated and moved at the beauty of Jesus and the desire of God. That's what we want tonight. We want to come out more in love with Jesus, more energized by the Holy Spirit, and closer to you as we draw near to you, Father. We ask that you would meet us, and I ask that you would help me. I ask that you would help me to honor you and to speak well of you tonight, that you would be supreme above everything else. And that we would come closer to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now in this verse, John 4, verse 23, that's the verse we're looking at, this last phrase. It says, God is seeking something. Now what is it that he's seeking? Well, he's seeking true worshipers. But before we look at the true worshipers, this, this phrase was just touching my heart. It was leaping out to me. And I think it's important that we take a moment and just consider what it means that God is looking for something. God is looking for something. The, the eyes of the Lord search to and fro, it says in the word, and he's looking throughout the nations of the earth. He's looking through the hearts of the peoples. God is after something. He's searching for something. Why is that important? Because this verse here, verse 23 is the only time in the New Testament, and I don't know how many other places, where it actually says God is looking for something. He's seeking something. He's after something. Now, why is that so important? Because in today's age and in today's generation, we're looking for something. And we go to churches and ministries and events and worship nights because we're looking for a need to be met. And my generation, the younger generation especially, is so consumed with our own needs being met that often we neglect to ask the question, God, what is it that you want? What is it that you desire? What is it that you're looking for because if I'm just looking for me, then I can construct a whole value system where it's me at the center and God on the fringe. I can construct a Western Christian uh, uh, ideal where my needs are supreme and at the center, and God serves a function to enrich my life. He forgives my sin. He heals me. He makes my life better. He removes my guilt. Just like my friends, I need my friends, and I need family, and I need finances, and I, we have all of these needs, and often we can construct our whole life with ourselves at the center and God on the fringe. And what we're essentially saying when that happens is, God, you exist for me to meet all of my needs. And if you don't meet my needs, then I'm going to give up on you. If you don't meet my needs, if the finances aren't good, if the marriage isn't good, if 
my kids aren't good, if the worship service wasn't good, if the message wasn't good, then I have permission to eject and just kind of try and find the place where all of my needs are going to be met. Now, you didn't probably expect this tonight to come and have things meddled with in your life. But I love the Word of God because it's not about what I want. It's about what He wants. The authority of the Word is here And I have to come under that authority, whether it makes me feel good or not. Because God, who he is and what he's like, is not defined by the feelings and emotions of a generation. God gets to define the way he is. God gets to define what he wants. God gets to define who we are because we are his children and we are his creation. And I think that we're in a critical hour right now because very few are asking this question of God. God, what is it that you're seeking? What are you after? What do you want? What what can I do to please you? Not just, here's my prayer list, now please me. It's important that we understand that God is central, that we exist for him He doesn't primarily exist for us. Now, when he meets our needs, those are good. And when he forgives our sin, oh, that's good. And when he heals our diseases, that's good. And when he brings enriching experiences into our life and blesses us with finance, it's good. But it's not central. He is central. What he wants is central. Last time I checked, He was the one sitting on the throne, ruling over creation, and he's never moved. There's never been a vote to get him off. And even if they did want to vote, there's no polling booth open. They can try and get him off. They can try and vote God out. But the Ancient of Days got that name for a reason. He's unmovable. He's unshakable. He's eternal. He's immortal. He's invisible. You can't just dethrone God with your new idea at 22 years old because you want to. Do you know what Psalm chapter 2 says? It says that the nations are raging. The peoples are plotting against God. They're plotting literally against God in Psalm chapter 2. Do you know what God is doing? It says he's sitting in the heavens. He's sitting, he is completely unmoved by the rage of men, by wars and tumultuous events and and the democratic voice of a generation going, we don't want your ways, God. He's unmoved. He's unshakable. And he says that he's laughing and holding them in derision. He is mocking their vain attempts to get him off their throne. Let me write a song about that. God holding the nations in derision. Not going to sell many albums. But it's in the Bible and it's true. It doesn't matter how it makes us feel, it's true. He's seated in heaven. He's not moving. He's not going anywhere. And he's looking for something. If this trend in American Christianity continues, 
it runs the risk of becoming its own religion, one that the early church apostles, Peter, James, and John, and the others, and Jesus himself, they would not recognize this trend of Christianity that puts man at the center and God on the fringes to meet man's needs. That's just not the way it works. We treat Christianity and our faith often like this big Pinterest board, okay? Those of you that have that know what I'm talking about. And we're going to take the Jesus pin and we're going to put it on our board right next to water polo and yoga class and cute bunnies because all of these things enrich our lives in different ways. And we have to have diverse ways of enriching our life. And so we add Jesus into that. So we attend church and we go to our small group and we'll even show up for a few evangelistic things and some outreaches. and all. As long as it continues to enrich our life, we'll show up. See, we've inadvertently put man at the center of Christianity and we've put Christ on the fringes to meet man's needs. Last time I checked, it wasn't called Christianity or Manianity. <laughs> it was called Christianity because Christ is at the center. And he wants something. He's after something. And we need to begin to ask the question, God, what is it that you want in my city? What is it that you want from me? Who is it? Who are you? What are you like? What are you doing? Because I don't want to end up accidentally resisting you, I want to be in alignment with your will. I want to be standing with you in that day, not against you. And my sinking feeling and fear is that a generation would grow up imagining they're on Jesus' team. And then they stand before Jesus and realize they weren't on Jesus' team. Because they constructed a value system and a faith that is not rooted in the word of God and the revelation of Jesus as the Son of God, it's rooted in having their own needs met. It's rooted in their own feelings and their own worldview and perception. And God is going, I'm looking for something. Now let's go to Matthew 26. Jesus tells us in John 4 that he's looking for true worshipers. And we're going to look at this true worshiper, this young girl, her name is Mary, and she's often referred to as Mary of Bethany because Bethany was the little village, not far from Jerusalem, where she was from. That's where she lived. And there's three Marys in the Bible. There's Mary, the mother of Jesus. There's Mary of Magdalene, who was most likely a prostitute who had seven demons cast out of her. And then there's Mary of Bethany. So don't get them confused. It's not the mother of Jesus we're talking about. It's not the de you know, formerly demon-possessed woman we're talking about. It's Mary of Bethany, okay? Now, let's look at this, starting in verse 6. <clears throat> now, when Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster vial of very costly perfume, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. The disciples were indignant. They were angry when they saw this, and they said, why this waste? For this perfume might have been sold for a high price and the money given to the poor. But Jesus was aware of this, and he said to them, why do you bother the woman? For she has done 
a good deed to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. That verse always really messed with me. Verse 12, for when she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly I say to you that wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will be spoken of in memory of her. Now we're going to look at this story in three different ways. We're going to look at this story. How did Mary see Jesus? That's point number one. I'm doing this for you note takers. How did Mary see Jesus? Point number two, how did the others view Mary in light of what she was doing? And then point number three, the most crucial point, what did Jesus think? How did he see Mary? How did he see what was being done? Now, Mary's this young girl, and she has two siblings, Lazarus and Martha. So you've maybe heard the story, the Martha, Martha story, you know, whenever somebody starts vacuuming too much in the church, people are like, Martha, Martha, stop, you know, that's, that's, that's her sister. And then Lazarus is her brother, and Lazarus was the guy that Jesus raised from the dead, and he came out, you know, covered in the, in the stuff, looked like a mummy or whatever. So there's these three, and they live in Bethany, and they're friends of Jesus. And I love, I love the stories around these three. Because they never, like, they were never, like, full-fledged apostles. They never had, like, power or big ministries. They weren't really wealthy from what we can gather from the stories. I love that they were just normal people, and Jesus really liked them. He was really close with them. They weren't the super poor ones that he was, like, feeding and, you know, going after and telling the parables to, you know, I'm, I'm leaving the 99 to go after the one. And they weren't, like, really wealthy and well-known. They were just normal, average people. I like that. I often identify with Mary and Martha and Lazarus out of the rest of the crew that's kind of around the stories of Jesus. So they're in this house. This man named Simon the leper is hosting this event. Now, this is only a few days before Jesus would be betrayed and that he would go to the cross. It's during, this story takes place during the Passion Week. So the previous Sunday is Palm Sunday when Jesus comes into Jerusalem and they're waving the palm branches and saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And Jesus drives the money changers out of the temple, okay? Now, this is about Wednesday. It's about midweek. Friday is coming. That's going to be the Last Supper and his betrayal. So it's just a few uh, days before he's betrayed on that Good Friday. Now, Mary is at this house with them, and she lived in Bethany. So she went to Simon the leper's house. That's seems to be apparent from the story here. And she at some point, either on the front end or during this meal, sneaks away and gets out this very costly flask, this ointment of this precious oil. Now, some scholars think that this oil was her inheritance that she had been entrusted because her parents maybe had like tragically died or had died young. And that perhaps Lazarus, because her parents are not 
named, and it would be unusual for the three of them to live together unless these circumstances kind of lined up. Anyway, I'm not going to get lost too much in the details. But anyways, that Lazarus was the primary caretaker, and that Mary had been left this alabaster flask as her inheritance after her parents had died. Some speculate that. Either way, she has this expensive vial, and she goes, and she gets it, and she does the unthinkable. I mean, finances 101, she breaks every rule. This is like the dumbest thing you could possibly do, right, according to, you know, wisdom, you know, just raw wisdom. She takes this flask, and she comes up to Jesus, and she breaks the flask, which means you couldn't save any of the oil. And she pours the entire thing on Jesus in this beautiful act of worship. And, and what she does is so shocking and so surprising. Now, in modern currency, they would estimate that the value of that oil would be anywhere from forty to $60,000 worth in, you know, if you kind of translated it to money in our day. Okay, <clears throat> so just picture the scene. Everyone's in this house. They're all together. There's been whispers that Jesus is going to be betrayed. It's kind of these last moments that they're lingering together before his betrayal. And in comes young Mary. And and what I love about Mary is every time that she's mentioned in the Gospels, she's at the feet of Jesus. She's always there. She can't get away from him. She's just always there. And and. It's often describes her as at his feet, which is, you know, looking up kind of this posture and attitude of, of adoration. And, and she just, she loves him so deeply. And, and so here she comes in and she takes this vial and she breaks it. And, and the smell of this costly perfume, John 12, tells us that it's the, the oil of spikenard is very, very strong. You know, it would have filled the whole house. And she takes all of her inheritance, all that she had, all of her possessions, in essence, and she just lavishes it upon Jesus. I mean, this picture is the ultimate picture of extravagance and worship. You're not going to find a better picture than this, in I think, in the whole of the Word of God. Because she doesn't hold anything back from Jesus. There's no, she doesn't reserve a small vial and pull it off to the side. She doesn't come in with, like, you know, the church anointing oil and kind of bloop, and then just, like, put a cross on Jesus' forehead. Bless you, brother. She doesn't do that. Could she have done that? Probably. Could she have, like, poured out? An ounce of it and save, reserve the rest, probably. But whatever's happening in her heart, whatever is affecting her emotions, she comes in. She breaks the entire thing. She pours out everything that she has on Jesus. I read that, and I'm surprised by that. I'm a little bit disturbed by that. And here's why. Because every time I hear this, I'm like, Lord, are you going to ask me to do that? What, you know, I mean, it's kind of funny, but we, we think that. Lord, would, are you really going to ask me to give up everything that I have, lay it all down before you, and then just kind of go, I don't really know what's supposed to happen after this. 
Well, let's look at why she's doing this. Why would she possibly do this? I think there's only two reasons why you would take all of your resources, everything that you have. No, because you're here it's oil, but your resources are your time, your money, your energy. You got lots of resources. It's not just how much the bank account is. You've got energy that you you've got your time, you've got your your assets, you've got money, you've got relationships, you've got, I mean, all these different things that we build up, these constitute our resources. And what the Lord is highlighting here is, is the way that Mary spent in an extravagant way her resources on Jesus. Here's why I think that she did it. I think that she spent that $50,000 on Jesus because she saw that he was worth it. Right? I mean, it's so simple, but at the end of the day, you only spend $50,000 on something that you think is worth $50,000. You don't walk into a taco joint and say, hey, how much are your tacos? And they say, well, how much you want to pay? $50,000. Because that's how much tacos are worth to me. I mean, Tex-Mex tacos are good. I don't know if there's a $50,000 Tex-Mex taco out there that would really pull on my heartstrings. If there is, I want, I mean, I want to try it, but. What is it that would make you spend $50,000? There's only two reasons. You're either crazy in love or you're just crazy. That's it. Those are the only two things that would, you really, and, and by love, I mean, you see something as valuable that you esteem, and you go, I want that thing. I'll spend this money on it. Now, to some people, $50,000 is a lot of money. To other people, $50,000 isn't that much money. But the point is this. The point is this. In the story, it's everything Mary had. So whatever her heart, however her heart was being moved by Jesus, she goes, I will give everything I have for him. Now, this is an important part because to be, this is a principle, to be a true worshiper, it means that you see Jesus as absolutely worth everything that you have. Who can measure the worth of Christ? Who can measure the worth of God? Who can measure one portion, one drop of blood from the Son of God. Who can put a price tag on that, right? But the problem is, or not the problem, the challenge, the dilemma here in this story is that no one else saw Jesus as that worthy and that valuable. No one did. No one saw him as that. Only Mary did. Not even her brother and sister. Not even Jesus' disciples. Not even John, the beloved, the closest one in relationship to, to the Son of Man, John the Beloved, that would lay his head on the chest of Jesus, you know, not even John was going, wow, this is a great idea, Mary. Mary saw something in Jesus that moved her to extravagance, that moved her to a level of devotion, that, that took the breath out of people, that made people angry at her, even the devout. That's true worship. That's true worship. God is after true worship. He's after people that go, you know what? My resource, it belongs to God. And I'm not saying you go take your whole resource and put it in the next offering. That's not what I'm talking about. 
because your resource is far more than your financial asset. It is far more than that. It's how are you going to live your life? What is it that you esteem as more valuable, more treasured, more magnificent than everything else? Because when that thing grips you and you're in love, that love is moving you, you everything that you have will move in that direction. My wife and I have been married for 12 years, going on 13 years. When I fell in love with her, when we were dating, you know, fell in love, everything that I was or about became about her. It wasn't even a question. All, you know, the money I'd make from my monthly paycheck, all I could think of is, okay, you know, pay the bills, and then how can I spend the rest on her? Why? Because she had my heart. And when someone has your heart, when you're really in love, I mean, when you see that person or that thing as so valuable, there's no price you're not willing to pay. I, would, I wanted to spend all my time. I wanted to spend all my money. I wanted to spend every moment I could blessing her, being with her wherever she was, blessing her friends. You couldn't talk me out of it. Nobody had to kind of pull me aside like we do with Christians in you know, our devotional life. And we're like, hey, you know, have you been reading the Bible this week? You know, let's stay true, brother. I'm trying. I'm, try, I'm, I'm in there, you know. And that's good. I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to knock that at all. But I'm saying, man, if our hearts got wrecked in the way that Mary's did. And I was in love with my wife. None, none of my friends had to call me up and be like, hey, bro, like, how's your, have you talked to Morgan in the last, like, three days? Have you considered her? Have you, like, you, you might need to call her up. I'm like, oh, yeah, her. All right. Man, this is so hard. How, how, how do we relate to God like that and be okay with that? No, I, mean, I know this is painful because I'm, I'm in it. This is me. How do I relate to God like, oh, yeah, God, he's there. I've got to talk to him. I've got to serve him. I've got to give my finances and my strength to him, all right, okay. I mean, imagine if your spouse, your boyfriend, your girlfriend talked about you like that behind your back. No, for real. Right, this is a relationship with God. Like, wh- how do we justify that? That doesn't, that doesn't even make sense. God is so gracious and merciful with little dumb me. <laughs> you know, I'm like, all right, God, I'll just I'll sign up one more time to, to serve you. And he's going, all right. And I mean, he loves that. He, he, he even validates that. And he esteems that, even that weak, you know, kind of complaining. All right, God, here we go one more time. Mary saw something in Jesus that she just goes, whatever it costs, I'll pay. Whatever it is. I'm going to, I'll just, I'll pour it all out. She gave her best. She didn't withhold anything. She didn't reserve one drop. Her heart was struck. And see, this is what I'm calling us to tonight. It's not that we would just all of a sudden walk out and be so extravagant. It's that our hearts would get struck. That we would pursue our hearts getting struck. That we would ask God, Lord, I want to I see you 
in the way that Mary saw you. I want to see you in the way that the Apostle Paul saw you. I want to see you in that way. Because if I can see you in that way, I can live with that type of devotion. I can live from a place of passion. See, our problem is, is that we're calling people to passion, but they haven't even seen Jesus. Our problem is we're calling people to go evangelize their neighborhood, but they don't even know Jesus. Our problem is we're sending 20-year-olds to the mission field, and they're not even qualified to be deacons in a church according to the New Testament standard. We don't know the one that we're talking about often. There's always those that do. I just want to challenge us on that point. Now let's go to the second thing. What did they see? Verse 8, when the disciples saw it, it says that they were indignant. And they said, why this waste? For this fragrant oil could have been sold for much and given to the poor. The disciples of Jesus became angry for this act. That's what that word indignant means. That's not a, a word we use often. You know, you're like shouting at the Taco Bell person that they messed up your order. I am indignant at you. They're like, what does that even mean? You know, they're, I mean. The, the disciples, they're triggered. They are angry. They are enraged. They're actually enraged. And I was just thinking about this. I was like, this is bizarre. These aren't even the Pharisees. These aren't even like the bad guys in the story. Like these are the, it says plural disciples. We know later Judas was kind of the main one because he was stealing money out of the thing. And, you know, he's a bad guy, obviously. But the disciples are enraged at this young girl's act of devotion. They're actually enraged at her. Do you know that when you seek to live extravagant and devoted in worship before the Lord, it's often your brothers and those in the body of Christ that will resist you. Because it challenges us and it, it annoys us when the person next to us has a higher level of devotion. And if we're honest, we would rather them kind of tone it down a little bit. I'm not talking about loudness and kind of like excitement. I'm talking about real heart, passion, devotion for Jesus. It's not about the volume. It's not about who dances the hardest, who sings the loudest, you know, all that kind of stuff. I'm talking about heart devotion. If we're honest, we like to lower the bar of everyone around us because it makes us feel uncomfortable. It makes us feel like, well, we're, I, I'm not doing enough. I feel challenged by the person five years younger than me that's more passionate and zealous than I am. And if I'm honest, I want them to kind of like fall in line so that I can stay where I'm at, all right? I told you I was going to meddle tonight. This is, no, if you become passionate for Jesus, you will be resisted. Unbelievers already think you're passionate for Jesus. It's believers that know that you're not. Unbelievers already assume that you are a religious fanatic. If you tell your coworker, I'm a Christian, they'll be like, whoa, you're going to hit me with a Bible and, you know, ban me from existence and, you know, whatever. That, that puts us at a disadvantage because the way that unbelievers interact with the body of Christ can't be the barometer by which we measure our passion and devotion. They already assume you're as passionate as Mary. They already assume you're a Jesus freak. We know we're not. And it's hard because they relate to us like we are. We relate to each other like we're not. And we relate to Jesus like we're not, but we know we should be. So now we're in this catch-22. and We go, we can either 
put our head down and try harder and sign up and study the passage again and make our kids read a proverb every day or whatever it is that we're trying to do. We're trying to get the thing going. Or, or we could begin to ask God, Lord, let me see you in the way that Mary did. Let me see you in the way that, that this young girl just goes, oh, I'll give anything. There is no price too high. So they're looking at Mary. They're indignant. They said that what she did was wasteful. This is a well-meaning response to true worshipers. They're saying to her, your life is a waste. What you're doing, it's a waste. You're young. You're naive. You're inexperienced. You're overzealous. See, many of you that are 30-plus remember the days that you lived like that, that your heart moved like that. And you remember when you began to collide with voices that were telling you to just kind of tone it down a little bit. Hey, this will wear off a little bit. I remember when the Lord really began to grab a hold of my heart, and I'm 17 years old, and, you know, my buddy, he's like the leader guy in the youth group. I'm like the come late and leave early guy. And, you know, we got this big youth group, and the Lord starts gripping my heart, and we go out to eat at this sub place that was like nasty, soggy bread. Don't recommend it. So anyway, so we're sitting there, and, and it, he's talking to me, and I'm like, I just want to be passionate for Jesus. And I'm just kind of like laying out my heart to him. He's a year older than me. He just goes, bro, you just need to tone it down. He just goes, you just need to like pull it. This, this is just a phase. This is going to pass. You just can't, like, just put the brakes on a little bit, man. And, and I just, I look at him, and it, this was the, like the last face-to-face conversation we ever had. I didn't mean for it to be that way, but it was just, the, it ended up being the last one. I just looked at him, I said, I don't want to tone it down. I said, I want to tone it up. I mean, I'm reading the stories of the Bible and the way these people lived and the things they believed and what they did and suffered and adored for the sake of Jesus. I go, I've got to ratchet it up. I can't live as just a white suburban guy going through life like, yay, everything's good. And go to the soccer game and then like everything's just like church once a week. I can't live like that. I want more. I want God. I want to see Jesus in the way that Mary saw where I look at my bank account I look at my strength, I look at my abilities, and I go, spend it all. Spend it all on Jesus. Be wise, but spend it all. True worshipers. This entire time that this is happening, these disciples are criticizing Jesus. She's there. I never thought about that before. She's present in the room. We have to get our mind around the awkwardness of the situation in order to really appreciate what's happening. When I read these stories, I I put myself into the story, and I'm peering out through the eyes of Mary, then I'm peering out through the eyes of Jesus, then I'm peering out through the eyes of the disciples, then I'm peering, I'm, I, I want all the different angles as I read the stories. And I would encourage you to do the same. Read the Bible as an interactive guide into the heart of God, not just as a manuscript that outlines facts for us to believe and do. Put yourself in the story. So Mary is here. They're criticizing her. She She's doing the act. Excuse me. They're criticizing her openly in front of everyone. And I just imagine that, that moment where it pauses, where they stop for just a second because Jesus is about to respond. 
what does Mary's face look like in that moment? This, this young girl who's with all these older people and these people that are really close to Jesus, and she's not as close as some, and she probably feels insecure, and she knows that what she did is, is going to bring on criticism and ridicule. And what does her face look like? What is she feeling in her emotions when that pause comes? Because then Jesus is about to answer. I want to throw in just one more thing before we go to the to what Jesus said. There's this kind of idea. I don't know how to say this really uh, delicately, so just forgive me. I'm just going to read this to us and just. They continue. They they're saying to her, "You could have given it to the poor." All right, and this is the issue that has really troubled me about this. You could have given it to the poor. Right here. Something happened through this accusation, through this criticism in her that happens everywhere, even within our own heart. And here's, this is what it is. This is where the mind of man, fleshly man, I think, is getting it wrong. We often put the needs of the poor as more valuable than the person of Christ. I know that is not a popular thing to say. They are bringing it up in this story, not me. <laughs> Just kidding. No, no, no. Consider this for a moment. And I, and I want to say this del- delicately and nuanced. The needs of the poor are often esteemed higher, more pressing, and more important than the person of Christ. That's exactly what's happening in this story. It is. And I have to wrestle through that in my heart because raised as an evangelical Christian, I'm trained that the poor are everything. If you're not serving the poor, you're nothing. And if you are, you're something, okay? And I think that Jesus is highlighting something to us here that we need to consider, that we need to to not just jump to conclusions and not be angry about it, but, but loving, lovingly come to the Lord, and this is how I want to submit this to us tonight. Lovingly come to the Lord and say, Lord, wh- what do you mean by this? What do you mean by this? Because he says, the poor you'll always have with you, but me you will not always have. There's something about spending resource in a way that isn't practical, that doesn't make sense on Jesus that he really likes. He goes, the poor, you always have time to serve the poor and to sow in and, and invest. He goes, but me, I mean, he's telling them in this story, he's going, me, you only, you, you, you've only got me for just, well, here, just a couple more days. And there's something in, a, in our value system, maybe, that might need to shift a little bit. As we consider where we're going to give the strength and the years of our life and our giftings and our talents and all these different things. The world and all of its wisdom, and you see this from the world towards the church, they would put the true worshipers, they would put the church, because the invitation to be a true worshiper is not just limited to individuals, it is the body of Christ. That who's, is who we're called to be. The world would often put the church in a little box called social justice. 
and you can meet the needs of the poor, and you can care for widows, you can care for orphans, and and provide shoes for people that don't have shoes, and, and create those boxes, you know, with all the crayons and everything, and mail those away to people that don't have school supplies. The, do you know that the world is okay with the church doing that? But one thing they're not okay with is taking resource and pouring it out before God for the glory of God and for the name of God and for the person of God and a whole life spent at the feet of Jesus. They're not okay with that. Natural man is not okay with that. What did Jesus see? Coming to an end here. Jesus is aware of what they're saying. He says, why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a good work for me. That word good there is the word beautiful. It's the only time in the Gospels that Jesus calls something beautiful. It's what she did. What Mary did was the beautiful thing. It was the thing that of, out of all the things that Jesus said, he goes, this thing is beautiful to me. What didn't he say? He didn't say it was practical. He didn't say that it was pragmatic. He didn't give an applause and say, good work for the kingdom, Mary. You're a good servant. You're a good laborer, Mary. No, she did something that was beyond the practical that was different. She did something that was beautiful. God looked at what Mary did and said, this is beautiful. This is good. He goes, leave her alone. Stop criticizing her. Let her love me in a way that is commensurate with the way that her heart is moving. Let her, let her love me. Don't meddle. Don't get in there. How challenging is this? We're so focused on the practical often that we forget the beautiful. We forget that our actions of worship are a song to the Lord, something that he delights in. The true worshipers that live lives of devotion to the Lord, God looks at that and he says, this is beautiful. He's got lots of laborers, but he has few friends. He's got lots of workers, but he has few that deeply love him. That's why in John 15, he says, I don't call you servants. A servant doesn't know what his master is doing. He doesn't know the heart of his master. He doesn't know the value system of his master. He goes, I've called you friends. I've invited you into being these true worshipers with me. If the Christian is the true worshiper, there will always be provision for the poor. And then this final verse, he says, in pouring this fragrant oil upon my body, she's done this for my burial. Mary, in the anointing of Jesus, is participating in the cross and what Jesus is about to do when he's about to go to suffer. And there's two key facets to this. One is that he smelled like that oil on the way to Calvary. Because the only way to get that oil, that, that amount of oil and perfume off is to bathe with soap rigorously. I mean, you get in the water and get out, you still, oil doesn't come off. There's a good chance that two days later, Jesus still had that fragrance of her love and her devotion on him as he was suffering and being beaten and flogged. He still smells like Mary's devotion to him. He most likely smelled like that even hanging on the cross. Mary's deed was a foreshadowing 
of the entire story of the cross. Because when Jesus went to the cross, he brought his alabaster vial called his own suffering and his own life, and he poured it out entirely for the sake of humanity. He didn't withhold anything. If he had withheld one drop, then our souls would be bound still under the power of sin and death. But Jesus came with his alabaster vial, like Mary came with hers, and freely and willingly poured it all out for the sake of love. That's why he went to the cross. It was for the sake of love. Hebrews tells us that it was the joy set before him that he endured the cross. It wasn't because he had to. It wasn't because the Father commanded him to. It was because he wanted to. He wanted a people to know the extravagance of his love, just as Mary wanted that household to know the extravagance of her love. What if we gained a revelation of his great value? I want to invite us to stand. I want to pray for us and then uh, turn the mic over here. And then we're, we're going to have a time for ministry in just a little bit. I know that we've kept you a few minutes late. But we want to invite the presence of the Lord to come tonight and to touch us. Here's the two things that I feel like the Lord is highlighting. Is one, the Lord is calling many in this room to be like Mary of Bethany. He really, he's looking for true worshipers. Today, in America, in this, re, in this state, he's looking for true worshipers, people that would lay down everything. And I don't, I don't mean be foolish with your resources and your finances. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying thinking of what we have as a mechanism to display love for God. When we begin to see money and time and energy, these are my, re when you're younger, you have more energy and more time. See your time and your energy as a resource that you can lavish upon Jesus just because of who he is. And there's lots of different ways of doing that. But the Lord is inviting true worshipers to emerge in the earth even before his coming. He's inviting us into this. He's not going to force people to do it. He didn't command Mary to go get the alabaster flask. It's an overflow of revelation. She saw him and her heart was moved. If our generation needs anything, it's to see Jesus as he really is. I mean, really to see him. To see him in the way that the prophets did. They get knocked down as dead. You know, I want to see Jesus. I don't want just... Western, Christian, felt board, nice, hippie Jesus. That's not the Jesus of the Bible. I want the real man, the real person. I want to see him. I want to call others. What if we begin to reach for revelation of who God really is? Father, we ask you in the name of Jesus, Lord, that you would release your spirit in this region. We ask you, Lord, for the sake of our children, and the next generation, God, that you would do this, that you would do this, you would raise up true worshipers, that you would have tens of thousands of Marys in this nation, oh God, that would stand against the tide and the deception that would really value and esteem Jesus for who he is, that would love him long hours in hiddenness, long hours in secret that would lift up their voice to him, that would worship him, that would get their guitar and 
go out in the woods by themselves and just sing love songs to Jesus. Oh, God, you are seeking this. Your word tells us you are seeking worshipers. God, I ask that you would call them forth, old and young, rich and poor, from every different socioeconomic demographic in this region, God, that you would call them forth of every tribe, of every race, of every people, of every denomination, Lord. We cry out, O oh God, that you would have worship that rightly reflects who you are. Worship that is commensurate to your person. Worship that is commensurate to your beauty. Worship that is not just done out of religion, but is done out of love and a compulsion of love being awakened on the inside. God, would you do this? Would you give us the gift of Mary of Bethany's in our generation? Would you give us the gift, oh God? Would you do it? Would you raise them up? Would you touch their heart at eight years old and nine years old? God, would you do it? Would you raise them up in this region? Would you, would you cause worship and, a, and incense and this music and song to arise out of this region, Lord, that would move your heart, that you would look and say, oh, this is beautiful. This is beautiful. There's lots of ministries that are productive and lots of ministries that are fruitful, but how many are beautiful to God? When he looks at them, Lord, we want to be beautiful. We want our life to be this beautiful display of who you are. Oh, Lord, release your glory. Release your glory. Release your glory, Lord. Touch hearts. Come on, that's powerful stuff, amen? Come on. Let's give it up for Isaac. It's <laughs> it brought. Who better to just release true passionate worship than people from IHOP, amen? <laughs> just undignified. Let's just be with Jesus because we just want to be with Jesus, right? Hmm. So we've got the toolbox up here. If you, you're not familiar, this is just for when we have guests in the house. And, and um, they've already sowed and so much into us tonight, amen? Um, so we just want to sow into IHOP and everything that they're doing. Um, they brought 28 people here tonight, um, just the whole family band some staff members, some students and everything. And so we just want to sow into what they're doing. So if you guys just want to come and bless them, the box is right here. And we're just going to do some more ministry time. I realize that it's, it's after 8, but um, I have a feeling they're willing to stay. I'll stick around a little while. So um, we're just going to have some time of prayer, some time of worship, and it'll just be excellent. So if you can stick around.